Tonight, who will get their new aircraft first? Modern planes for our brave Canadian fighter pilots or Justin Trudeau's new luxury jet? It's June 18th and you're watching The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here and you won't give them an answer. You come here once a year with a sign and you feel morally superior. The only thing I have to say to the government for why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. I saw this story today on the Trudeau-loving CTV. You know, remember Justin Trudeau's luxury vacation to India? One way went for eight days or so, but seven of those days were vacationing on the taxpayer's time. You know, the one where he literally brought a new dress-up costume for every single day, even when his hosts dressed, you know, normally. You know, the trip where he dressed, danced like a fool, even after the disastrous fiasco of him inviting a real terrorist, Jasper Atwal, on the trip. Trudeau blamed the Indian government for that fiasco, the trip that was so vain and self-indulgent that Trudeau actually brought his own Indian cuisine chef on the plane with him from Canada with him. That trip? Remember that trip? Well, apparently on the flight over, one of the gauges on the airplane flickered a bit. You know, the needle wavered a bit. I'm guessing something that trivial happens on every single flight of every single jet plane in the world. They're extremely complicated machines. That's why they're maintained so carefully. Let me read how serious this was. I'm kidding, of course, but CTV was in full panic mode. Here, let me read from the story. The story was called Malfunctioning Sensor, Another Snag for Prime Minister's Aging Plane. And the story wrote, emails obtained by CTV's Mercedes Stevenson through an access to information request show that a gauge designed to monitor engine temperature began fluctuating randomly during the February 16th flight to New Delhi, and that a ground crew at a scheduled refueling stop in Rome found a few loose wires. So, so, so that's all you got? That's what you got? There, there was a loose wire? And then there was a gauge that, that fluctuated a bit? You guys okay? You need grief counseling or something? Well, isn't that obvious? I mean, we need to buy the Prime Minister a brand new VIP-style jet to compete with Donald Trump, who's getting a new 747, you know. The CTV article doesn't even pretend it's not lobbying for this. They quote Greg McEachern, yeah, he's a liberal lobbyist, saying we absolutely should buy his pal Trudeau a new jet. I mean, when Trudeau jets down to the Bahamas to visit his pal, the Aga Khan, on that private billionaire island, he's got to arrive in style, people. You can't have a loose wire. Look, I know why the United States needs Air Force One. It's not just a way to travel. It's a mobile White House designed to be a command center for the entire U.S. Armed Forces in case of a nuclear attack. It's nice inside the jet, I'm sure, but it's not built for nice. It's built to withstand an electromagnetic pulse, to command the whole military in World War III. It's a bunker plane. Trudeau's plane? Yeah, not so much. It's to fly Trudeau on his, what, 56 vacations so far since becoming PM? 56, like to India. Sorry, if you've got an engine gauge that's flickering a bit, that's okay, buddy. Giving, giving lectures on, a, you know, on male feminism at 30,000 feet or whatever he does up there is not quite as important as commanding NATO. 
Now, little pipsqueaks in the third world, little tyrants, dictators, they love their jets. It's proof that they're very important. Here's Prince Al-Walid of Saudi Arabia. Look at this. All right, we get it, buddy. You've got a lot of OPEC money and you want to show it off. Trudeau, uh, like his father, uh, loves that third world aesthetic. He likes the little tyrants. Uh, his power, this is more of Al-Walid's plane, pretty fancy, eh? Um, his power is related to the size of his plane, so he can't be possibly be embarrassed by flying around in a version of our mini Air Force One that we have in Canada. So Trudeau wants a new plane and on cue. So many liberals and even red Tories have chimed in. Yeah, give him his plane. It's about safety. You know, that there's loose wire, you know. With liberal journalists, it's obvious why they want this. They want to be able to fly with the prime minister in luxury, too. It's why they never criticize Trudeau's 56 trips. I mean, wouldn't you love to have gone to India with Trudeau to work? And, of course, you only work as hard as Trudeau does, so a few hours a day. And in that trip, he only worked one day out of eight. But here's the thing. That jet is old, to be sure. It's about 30 years old. But it's newer than the CF-18 jets that our Canadian fighter pilots use. And because of Trudeau's spitting match with Donald Trump, Trudeau has said he's ruling out the F-35 replacement that our allies are already flying just because Donald Trump doesn't like Trudeau's subsidies to Bombardier. So that's how Trudeau's hitting back. So Trudeau is punishing our fighter pilots. So we're going to buy some used jets from Australia, some hand-me-downs to cover the gap while we look at some other choice, maybe in the future. Say, do you think the odd CF-18 jet has a loose wire or a flickering gauge? Yeah, of course they do. But do you see CTV going to the wall to get new jets for them? No, no, no. I predict that Justin Trudeau will get himself a new super luxury jet before he gives our Air Force new jets that they need just to stay safe and do their duties. He will send our people to Mali in Africa in rusty old gear while he takes the good stuff for himself. And CTV and the rest of the media, they don't care because they'll be able to fly with Trudeau in style as they type up their latest glowing press releases for him. Stay with us for more on the subject with Sheila Gunn-Reed. I think a lot of Canadian families have a little playground in their backyard. By playground, I mean like some sort of play structure, a swing set, a slide. Maybe it has uh, other, like a little climby thing. You can get them at Home Depot, Costco. Usually you assemble them a bit. You know, I've seen really good ones for like 1500 bucks. I'm talking they're the ultimate. Uh, it takes about a day, uh, if you're all thumbs like me, two days to assemble them. It's like a really tricky Ikea set. And then it's there forever. Well. How did Justin Trudeau manage to bill taxpayers for a $7,500 play structure for his part-time summer residence at Harrington Lake? And why are taxpayers putting the bill for his kids at all? Joining us now to talk about this and even more serious subjects is our friend Sheila Gunn-Reed, the Alberta Bureau Chief for the Rebel. Sheila, great to see you again. Hey, Ezra, thanks for having me. You know, I, um, those kids, and I'm certainly not going to blame the kids. They're of tender years. They just do what mom and dad tell them to. They dress up in fancy Bollywood clothes and do namaste when mom and dad tell them to. <laughs> so absolutely not 
cracking down on the kids, let kids be kids, they do what their parents say. This is Justin Trudeau and his enabler, Gerald Butts, just wringing everything they can out of the taxpayer's budget. $7,500 for a kid's play structure. Ezra, I'm so enthralled by the fact that he spent $7,500 on a playset. I actually emailed the PMO because I want details. I want a picture. I want to know what it costs to be delivered. Maybe a lot of the cost is inflated labor costs because we have to hire a union worker and do a gender-based analysis assessment on everything. I'm not sure. I want to know how you get a playset for $7,500. But more over to your point, Justin Trudeau is a millionaire. He came into the office of prime minister as a millionaire. And just last April, he gave himself a raise. So now that he he makes uh, $345,000 per year, surely to God, he can buy himself, buy his own kids a place that I, you know what? I'm fine with maintaining the upkeep on Harrington Lake. The We've owned the property since 1951. Sure, it needs a little work and maintenance. Boat dock replaced here and there. But a $7,500 playset? Why can't Trudeau pay for his own kids? Yeah, it's so weird. I mean, and this weirdness is just absolutely abided by the media party. Um, yeah. And I think they started very brazenly. Right after Trudeau became PM, he hired, through the federal bureaucracy, not one, but two nannies. I don't begrudge the Trudeaus their nannies. I mean, Angelina Jolie has three nannies, so why shouldn't our celebrity wannabe fake, you know, celebrity PM get his nannies? But since when, in all of Canadian history, do we pay for the nannies for any public official? No MP, no cabinet minister, no, no one else in government has nannies on the government, pay, pay for your own bloody nannies. Pay for your own babysitter. Have your mom come in, your, the, the kid's grandma come in and do it. But the media just said, oh yeah, no, that's totally fine. And if they got away with that, they'll get away with it. I, I long for the days when a $16 orange juice was enough to get someone sacked from cabinet. <laughs> you know, that's so true. This is stuff the royal family doesn't even get away with. You know, they... Uh, uh, they, you know, primarily they only have one nanny. Justin Trudeau has two. I mean, but there's, it's so much other stuff. And I think Harrington Lake, all these renos at Harrington Lake are really revealing um, just how much they're trying to rake out of the taxpayer. I mean, the amount that we are paying just for Trudeau's recreation time. I mean, the snow removal budget at Harrington Lake is $45,000 a year. It jumped up 17,000 because Trudeau doesn't know how to use a snow shovel and shovel off the little part around his fire pit. And then he's demanding that the taxpayer pay to groom his cross country ski trails so that for the, you know, one or two days a month that he's out there, the trails are always ready for him. Yeah. I mean, let's take both of those things. I mean, how did, I mean, snow, how did snow, I think it it was 17,000 and now it's 45,000. Maybe I got those reversed or, or mixed up, but how do you triple the amount of money it costs to clear snow? I mean, snow is snow. Who got that contract? How do you even bill forty-five grand a year? That's like a full-time job for something that's seasonal, 
Like it, th that sounds like a team yeah. of people. How, how do you even spend 45 grand? You could have someone working full time for 10 months, for all year to do that. And I, uh, you know, I've gone cross country skiing uh, a bit in my I'd, life. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that. <laughs> You've got this gorgeous large property. Isn't the fun you're going out in unspoiled private place? It, does he think he's like a professional ski hill or something? I mean, he's used to be a snowboarding instructor. Surely mm -hmm. he can handle raw powder, the the luxury here, and all of it approved by Gerald Butts, of course, because he's loading up at the trough too. He was the guy who paid himself what more than half a million bucks just to move down the street from Toronto to Ottawa, and it was only when it was discovered that he said, "Oh, maybe I'll give some back." These guys are Lebranos. Yeah, they are. They are. I mean, Justin Trudeau tried to build a taxpayer. I think it was close to $65,000 to build him a sauna and a new deck to encompass the sauna. Somebody at the PMO or at the National Capital Commission put the brakes on that. And Trudeau actually bought his own sauna, which he'll probably take out of there. And they'll probably take the drapes, too. But I mean, it still cost $4,500 to run electricity to his electricity sucker sauna, you can wire a modest sized house, the entire house for less than that. So, you know, I wonder what the contracts are like for, for some of the labor being done and, and who's doing the labor because all of this just seems so inflated. I mean, there were three patio umbrellas to the tune of a thousand dollars each. I don't want the prime minister sitting underneath, you know, a Coors Light garage sale umbrella, but a thousand bucks a piece. You can pay me a thousand dollars for the summer. And every time Trudeau's there, I'll stand with an umbrella over his head. I'll do it for cheap. <laughs> it's funny you mention that because of course, um, I mean, there's long been rumors that Margaret Trudeau has actually been living full time at Harrington Lake. Um, I, I haven't seen corroboration of that, but here's what I do know. The Prime Minister has his official residence at 24 Sussex Drive. Mm -hmm. but that's not fancy enough for him. It was fine for the Harpers for nine years, but it's not fancy enough for him. So he lives across the street in Rideau Hall. But his chef still uh, uses 24 Sussex Drive. So Trudeau's own chef has one property. Trudeau and his family live at Rideau Hall. And here's Harrington Lake, the third residence, whether or not his mom Margaret lives there, I don't know. Uh, this is Mr. Carbon Footprint. You have to make better choices. Um, you know, we have to do a gender analysis, as you jokingly said. Well, he certainly didn't bother waiting before wiring a sauna. Um, those are three houses. and. That's nothing compared to the story we see leaked to CTV. Mercedes Stevenson said she did an access to information request. I'm going to guess she was tipped off to do one about the, the plane, Trudeau's plane going to India. Some gauge was fluctuating. Yeah, um, that, that is likely true. So now we have the whole narrative in the entire media party. We must buy an entirely new luxury Air Force One style jet for Trudeau because some gauge was flickering. Um, but our fighter pilots, they can keep using 36-year-old CF-18s that we're replacing by with used Australian jets. He's, no one in his life has ever said no to him. And you'd think that the opposition would or the media would. And I don't know if the opposition, but the media is loving it. Yeah, they can't get enough of it. And it's so funny that you mentioned that our military is 
going to be, um, you know, they're they're buying something akin to sort of uh, Australian hand-me-downs, um, while, you know, Trudeau will spare no spent expense for himself and his family um, at, at the expense of the Canadian taxpayer. But he also said to a wounded veteran in Edmonton that they were asking for more than he was willing to give. But Trudeau certainly willing to give himself any perk that he can get his hands on. Yeah. No one in his whole life has ever said you're asking more than we can give to Trudeau. And mm -hmm. if they did, they were probably promptly fired by Gerald Butts. Well, Sheila, it's very frustrating. And um, it comes hard on the heels of a study that does not surprise me at all, that if this trade war with the United States comes to pass, it will throw Canada into a deep recession. Uh, it won't make a dent on the U.S. economy that's growing at an enormous rate. Yeah. It'll throw our country into recession. We, we've started to see job losses. Our dollar is weak. Um, the oil patch has not come back, unlike the oil patch in the States. Yeah. I think Justin Trudeau really doesn't care as long as he and his gold-digging wife get their billionaire island vacations in the, in the Bahamas. And, you know, he's had, what, 56 vacations since becoming PM? I think it's gross. My last question to you, Sheila, is um, at what point in time does the let-them-eat-cake routine start to trickle down to severely normal people and you have a Doug Ford moment because I don't think the media will ever criticize him. I think the media will love him to the end because they think they can get a bobble or two from his majesty. But at what point does do severely normal Canadians say, you know what, you airheaded prince, you showboat, you clothes horse, you shallow minded uh, inheritor, go back uh, go back home, we want a Doug Ford style and the gravy train PM. Is that ever going to happen? Do you know what? I think it is happening. I think that fruit is right on the tree if someone will come along and pick it. But I don't think that there's a conservative politician out there willing to sort of uh, get in front of that parade that's already happening. And that's the real sad thing for people like me and you, and I guess the rest of the conservative movement, the grassroots conservative movement, who are sick of this sense of entitlement and elitism that we see from Justin Trudeau. There are no leaders. There is no uh, Doug Ford at the federal level who can come along and save us. Yeah. When Jason Kenney briefly said something that, like what I did, that Trudeau was a shallow <laughs> finger bowl, the CBC media right shamed him into apologizing. So we won't, a week won't later. Hear, we won't hear any more of that uppity talk from a conservative politician. The CBC tone police us. Sheila, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. mad. I could talk about this for a great length, but I know we've, we've kept you long enough. Great to see you again. Keep up the fight. And congrats again on your book, uh, the, the Case Against David Suzuki. It's been number one on Amazon.ca for pretty much a week, even though we're giving away for free on SuzukiBook.com. It's also number one on the Kindle store. So congrats to, on that. Thanks. And I guess... Thanks to everybody out there who's supporting the work we do here at The Rebel by buying that book and making sure that everybody in the whole world knows what a fraud David Suzuki is. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Well, he and Trudeau, they like the lifestyle, that's for sure. All mm -hmm. right, Sheila, great to see you. We'll keep in touch. That's Sheila Gunn-Reed, our good friend, our Alberta bureau chief. I'm curious too, Sheila, if, if, I know you're about to go, but if you ever find out what the 7500 playground oh, I'll looks let, like, you've you got to send me a picture. I'll, uh, I will. I'll, I'll tell my kids if they get straight A's in school, maybe we can uh, take out a second mortgage on it. I wonder if you get a mortgage <laughs> on it. All right, take care. We'll let you go. Thanks, <laughs> Stay Bob. with us, folks. More ahead on The Rebel.
Welcome back. Well, a few weeks ago, this tweet was making the rounds by all the fancy people. It purported to show cages in which the evil Donald Trump was holding children detained for illegally crossing the border from Mexico. Uh, all the fancy people were tweeting it and they didn't check that image was taken in 2014 when St. Barack Obama was the president. Well, that story was quickly thrown down the memory hole, but it's come back with a vengeance because, hey, if Barack Obama was indeed ch treating children that way, maybe Donald Trump was doing the same or worse. And in fact, there have been a slew of stories implying that Donald Trump puts kids into cages, including this image that literally shows a kid in a cage. This has been tweeted and retweeted, seen millions of times. And yes, it is a cage, but no, Donald Trump didn't put that kid in there. That was a protest against Donald Trump. That was an activist's own child being used as a prop. Don't tell that to social media, though. Well, we know a reporter who actually went to one of these facilities for minor children who illegally sneak across the border unaccompanied by an adult, or in some cases, accompanied by an adult who's also incar incarcerated. I'm talking about our friend Joel Pollack, the senior editor-at-large of Breitbart.com, who joins us now. Joel, great to see you. What an interesting story. You actually went into one of these facilities, didn't you? I went into a facility that's a shelter for the children once they are taken from their families which happens when the parents are arrested. Many of the kids in that shelter actually come to the border on their own, about 90% actually, because most of the children that we're dealing with at the border are unaccompanied minors. But I went to the shelter that houses these unaccompanied minors and those who've been separated from their parents, or rather I should say from the adults who brought them, because one of the reasons they may have been separated is we don't know if their parents really are their parents. Mm -hmm. um, and. That's a separate system from the intake at the Border Patrol facility. Once Border Patrol finds these people and arrests them, which may also involve rescuing them, by the way, because sometimes these illegal aliens are stuffed into the back of a sweltering truck or they're stuffed into a gangland safe house somewhere or they're wandering around in the wilderness without water. I mean, all of these kinds of things happen. Uh, but anyway, Border Patrol rescues them or arrests them and takes them to their facilities and that's where you've seen these chain link fences that the left alleges are cages. And the reality is they have those there to separate men and women, to separate children from adults for safety reasons, not for any other reason. Mm -hmm. You can't have grown men in a common space, for example, with underage girls when they may be sleeping on the floor in an overnight holding cell en route to somewhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, those are facilities that are temporary at the Border Patrol. And then when they sort out where everyone's supposed to go, they move them to other places. The children are placed in shelters, like the one I visited, which is run by a nonprofit organization. And I have to tell you, it looked very comfortable for the children. They have adequate beds, they have new clothing, they get new toiletries. They receive medical attention, mental health counseling, six hours of education per day, two hours of recreation. They have field trips to zoos. They have an in-house kitchen. They are given meals every day. So it's basically like a dormitory environment that's heavily supervised with medical personnel, mental health personnel, social workers, caseworkers, administrators. It's a full service 
facility for these children. And it is not cages. The misleading idea that children are being kept in cages was deliberately circulated by critics of the president. It's been perpetuated not just by the left, but by Republican critics of the president. There are Republicans, they're a minority, but there are Republicans who agree with Democrats on opening the borders wide. They include the Bush family and many of the people around the Bush family who did not enforce our border laws when George W. Bush was president. And today you have his brother, Jeb Bush, complaining about the enforcement of border laws. But the reason that we have this phenomenon of kids getting separated from parents or from the adults they came with is that Trump has decided to incarcerate the adults to enforce the law, whether charging them with misdemeanors for a first crossing illegally or felonies for a re-entry illegally. Trump is deciding he's going to enforce the law. And according to existing laws, which have been on the books for more than 20 years, you cannot incarcerate the children with the parents for safety reasons. And so when parents are incarcerated, as with most other crimes, the state has to figure out what to do with the children. And so for that reason, the children are placed in alternative care. The families are eventually reunited. They can be reunited either by returning to their countries of origin. So if the parents accept a misdemeanor conviction, they're usually just released right away and they can reunite with their kids then and go back to whichever Central American com country or other country they come from. Or if the parents decide to apply for asylum and spend longer in jail or in the country somewhere, then the children may spend longer in the shelter. So that's the way it works. Nobody wants to see the parents separated from their kids, but it is a matter of law that's been on the books for a long time for safety reasons. And of course, if you don't want to be separated from your kids, there's two options. One is you can decide not to immigrate illegally at all. And the other is if you're going to try something like this, try it through a legal port of entry, not just by hopping a fence or crossing a river. Try it through a legal point of entry and make an application for asylum at the border. And then they usually do not separate people unless there's evidence that parents have committed some other kind of crime. Yeah. So that's is, that's the situation. That's where we are. You know, um, that's very informative. Thank you for that. Uh, Joel, yesterday was Father's Day and I was reflecting on our former colleague, uh, Tommy Robinson, who's in prison in the United Kingdom. And it was the first day he had seen his own uh, kids in nearly a month. And it's just a fact that when someone goes to jail in Canada, the UK, the US, they don't take their kids with them. So this is, you know, it's sad, but it's no more sad than Tommy Robinson, who is in jail. I mean, no one is in, no one has kids in jail with them. And I don't know, I think, I think this, is, this is such a hyperbolized situation. Let me show you a tweet. We were talking about tweets. Here's a tweet by a former CIA director, Michael Hayden. I find it amazing that this guy used to be the head of Central Intelligence for the United States. He's literally comparing, this is what he said, other governments have separated mothers and children. And he shows a picture, I think that's Auschwitz the most notorious concentration camp and death camp where Jews, yeah, they were separated and then murdered. How can someone who had such a senior post compare this bipartisan law enforcement to Nazi Germany? And, and he was praised. That tweet was retweeted thousands of times. I, I think they've lost their mind, Joel. 
Yeah, they have. They're so deranged that they will even compare Americans to Nazis. Remember when he's comparing the border enforcement to the Holocaust, he's implying that the border patrol agents are like SS guards or that the social workers are like Nazis. That's what they're saying. And this is, again, yes, the head of the NSA, the head of the CIA. By the way, the CIA does a lot of shady stuff that is a lot shadier than putting kids in shelters. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you want to start making comparisons to totalitarian regimes, it's facile and wrong, but you can do it much more easily with the CIA than you can do it with the Border Patrol, yeah. especially during the period where, where Michael Hayden was involved. I mean, the extraordinary renditions they were doing, the the black interrogation sites or you know, whatever they called them. I mean, the stuff the CIA was doing was very controversial, waterboarding, whatever it was. So for that guy to compare anything to the Holocaust is really is really chutzpah, to use a nice Jewish word. Hmm. Um, but, you know, it, it's also poisonous because it means you can't solve the problem, right? If your opponents are Nazis, if the people who are enacting policy whom, with whom you disagree are Nazis, then you can't argue with them. There's no point. So we're just going to have to fight each other. Yeah. And that's what Hayden is prescribing. Yeah. You know, um, I've seen a lot of statistics, and not just from conservative sites, but from uh, progressive sites that say that 40 to 60 percent of the miners who uh, are trafficked across the border, the women, 40 to 60 percent of the women and a large percentage of the boys are sexually assaulted. In fact, it's almost like a currency. You'd better pay to get sneaked across the border. If you're male, maybe you pay in cash, or maybe you're raped. And if you're a girl, you're probably, I mean, that's what 60% means, that means probably, you're probably going to be raped by your human trafficking smuggler. Um, I, I think that there has to be a signal, don't come across illegally, that if, unless we enforce things firmly, the traffickers are gonna keep coming. Joel, this reminds me of Australia. Uh, they had so many ships coming with people because it just paid until they had a new policy. Stop the ships, take it to Christmas Island. There would be a medical care there, triage. If you're fake, you're sent back. If you're real, you don't get to go to Australia. They send you to Nauru, a tiny little country that Australia pays, I don't know, 50 grand to to take you. So they. Within months, it became clear you're not getting to Australia, no matter what. If you're fake, you're being sent right back home. And if you're real, you can go to Nauru if you're really in danger. That's what stopped it. I think if, to save these girls from being raped on the way up, you've got to send a signal you will be sent back. A wall sends that sim signal. I think these you know, dorms send the signal a bit too. Yeah, the dorms, and it was a thought I had when I was walking around there that if people saw how comfortable these facilities were, they would have an added incentive to come. Oh, yeah. At the same time, all these Democrats and media types who are falsely claiming that this is the Holocaust, they might be discouraging people from coming. I mean, in a sense, it sort of helps. But ultimately, what you need is much tougher border enforcement because as one Border Patrol agent said, when you start making exceptions for people, that's when more people start showing up because they believe they can get through. So it's a huge problem of incentives. When Trump took office, people were scared enough that he was going to be absolutely draconian on the border, that the number of crossings dwindled dramatically. Then when Congress started talking about passing an amnesty bill, then you saw more people coming and more young people taking that very dangerous trip. So 
it really does have an effect. Yeah, and of course, we're getting all those self-deportees up here to Canada. Joel, I know you're in a rush, so we'll let you go. Thanks very much for your real shoe leather journalism, the kind of stuff that yeah. I wish uh, the mainstream media would do. Congratulations on going in and investigating with your own eyes. Thank you very much. All right, there you have it. Our friend Joel Pollack, Senior Editor-at-Large at Breitbart.com. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Hey, welcome back on my monologue Friday about liberal MPs crying Islamophobia for having to do their jobs. Bruce writes, thanks for the story about those fake Muslim politicians claiming Eid as their reason to blame conservatives who wanted to do their jobs as the opposition. It shows the hypocrisy of the Libranos and their condescending attitude to us voters who pay their salaries. Yeah, I think so, but I think it's worse than that. I think it reveals, accidentally maybe, that Islamophobia is not real. Like, if they're calling having to vote late at night Islamophobia, then we know that's just their go-to word. It's like calling someone a racist. Yeah, maybe once in a while it's actually accurate, but liberals have sort of invented that word as it means someone I don't like. So we've, we have it from uh, Omar al-Jabra himself that the word Islamophobia just means someone liberals don't like. On my interview with Sue Ann Levy, Paul writes... Sue Ann did a great job during the Ontario election. I haven't liked John Tory since he lost the provincial election. Sue Ann would make a better mayor for sure. Well, what I like about Sue Ann is she doesn't take any guff. And that's one of the things I like the most about Donald Trump and Doug Ford. We sure could use that at Toronto City Hall for that mayor, Calgary City Hall, Edmonton City Hall, Vancouver City Hall, and I'm sure most city halls. On my interview with John Carpe about Trinity Western University, Jonathan writes, I admit I am a novice, but is there any way a, an appeal to appeal a Supreme Court decision? Well, I'm afraid not. That's why it's the Supreme Court. It's the tippy top. Um, this has gone all the way up from basic courts to the courts of appeal in three different provinces. But there is one solution. I think John alluded to it, and that is now that Doug Ford is the Premier of Ontario, he can simply rewrite the Law Societies Act, or the Legal Profession Act, whatever it's called, and take away that power that these law societies have um, in this regard. So the legislature can fix the problem, even if the courts won't. I don't know if Doug Ford would do that. I, uh, it seems a little obscure, and um, I don't know if that would be on his priorities list, but that would be a great way to slap back at these law society bigots. Well, that's the show for today. I'm done. I'm going to go Google $7,500 playground kits. What on earth? I think Sheila's right. It was probably just like $1,500 for the playground and $6,000 for a couple of uh, Liberal Party hacks to stand around while it was built. Unbelievable. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night and keep fighting for freedom.